All right, so I had to go live because otherwise, if I'm if we're like ten minutes late, there's something they cut it off and you won't be able to broadcast. So I'm live right now with nobody watching, which I guess is what it is. Um, so Nick is having trouble hearing things. Hoping you can all hear me. If you can hear me, please type in the chat um, because he couldn't hear me and he thought I was screwing with him, which I wasn't. So uh, it's probably a headphone issue. And that's all right. We'll we'll fix all that in a minute. At least hopefully he's fixing it. Either that or he just got really angry and he threw his entire unit up against the wall and it broke into a million pieces, which would not be out of character. But with that said... Oh, thanks, Patrick. I appreciate that. That's very sweet of you to say. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave this up here because Patrick thinks I sound good. <laughs> and why am I gonna stop Roger? Roger's going nuts because he's having fun. He's playing. That's what pugs do. Pugs have fun. So all right. Getting down to it to start with here. We still gotta wait for three. Oh, we got four people now. You know what? Even though Nick's not here. And there's four people in here. Guess what? I am doing the intro. So there. Enjoy. Cover to Covered is a podcast that features two idiots talking about music at length. And occasionally a dog does make an appearance. There will also be special guests from time to time that will show up. And they will be smarter than the hosts. And the hosts will give their opinions. By the way, they are exactly that. Opinions. They are not truths, they are not fallacies, and they do not reflect the views or opinions of their employers or those they employ. So with that, just enjoy the damn show. All right, so Nick just texted me. I have no audio coming in or out of the computer. I, I live 1,500 miles away from him, so I can't help. Uh, if anybody lives close, run over to his house. See if you can help him out there. That way you can get on the show for five minutes before we end. Um, anyway, here we are. Uh, yeah, Roger isn't. See, use Roger as your co-host. Roger is always the co-host. There is no way he is not the co-host. Uh, that, that is Roger is the man and he always will be, and he will always be a co-host at least honorarily. Uh, currently he is gnawing on something. So he, he's, he's very, very busy at the moment. Um, anyway, welcome to cover to covered. My name is Mike Venezia and Nick Morocco would normally be like there, uh, there yeah, and a window over there, but he's not, uh, again, technical difficulties. Uh, Patrick, I think you have it right. Yes. Reboot it. You know, have you turned it on and off? If you've turned it on and off, then try it again. Because uh, that seems to fix everything, right? We're always into the trying, turning things on and off. Uh, and it magically makes things work. So anyway, uh, yes, I'm, uh, I, I, uh, I don't need to turn anything on and off because my stuff works. That's all I'm saying. 
Um, anyhow, hope everybody's doing well. Uh, this is a show where we just nerd out about vinyl and music and things of that nature. If this is your first time here, please subscribe down below. Subscribe, like it, all the other fun stuff that goes along with it. And hopefully uh, my co-host will show up soon. Anyway, uh, what happened this week? What's going on this week? Well, Super Bowl was on Sunday. That was exciting. Uh, the Chiefs won. Go Chiefs. Because there's just no way I could root for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I think the only time I rooted for the Philly Philadelphia Eagles in a playoff slash Super Bowl situation was when they played the Patriots about five years ago. And I was perfectly okay with them winning that one because I hate Tom Brady. Uh, but Tom Brady is now retired, so now we don't have to worry about him anymore. It's going to be weird because for the past 24 years, all we had to hear about is Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. So that's all good. Uh, yes, the all right. So this is a controversial topic right here. Steph says halftime sucked. A lot of us agree. Uh, at least the people I was at a Super Bowl party with were all like, nope blew this opportunity and look i respect rihanna i think that she's a supremely talented singer beautiful woman she was pregnant okay so we we can't like totally um take down everything that happened but take her activity out of the equation right let's let's just remove that the rest of the halftime show didn't have to suck because she was pregnant you know, uh, it was not good at all. Like there were no, and I, I hate to kind of frame things like this, but there were no like costume changes. It was just a whole bunch of people running around in white hoodies, uh, you know, which, which really, Hey, look who's here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes. Okay. Now I can hear you. I don't know That's what good. the hell was going on. Well, listen, we gave away all the money right at the beginning of the show, man. And you would not believe who won. You know who won? Gall McCartney. No way. He won $92 billion. He deserves it. Why? Because he can't think for himself and yeah, cause he'll pay never, other cause, people to do it? Because he'll never actually uh, get, what did you say, $92 million ever billion. on his own? Billion. billion. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody. Oh, look, my mom even says, nice to see you, Nick. So Hi. There you go. Hello. You, Hello, you Joanne. You are now welcomed uh, into the fold. So we were just talking briefly about uh, about the Super Bowl, and we got onto the topic of the halftime show. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, but I did. the consensus is it kind of sucked. It was boring. It was boring. Exactly. Now, again, the, the my 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 take on it is I'm not anti Rihanna. She was pregnant. And, and let's take that out of the equation. Right. Even if you remove the fact that she really couldn't do what she wanted to do because she was pregnant, she couldn't like go go crazy dancing. The rest of the show around her was boring. Yes, I agree. You know, the only cool part was that they were on these platforms that were all rigged from the ceiling to start the thing. And then after that, it's like, well. All right. <laughs> it looked like it looked like a kiss show. No, the kiss with show the actually, platforms. Oh, with the platforms. I was going to say, yeah. no, those are actually exciting, even though they suck live, too. Um, <laughs> they suck you know, live now. Oh, they very much suck live now. People like, you know, people like, hey, I got this bootleg uh, from, uh, you know, the 2022 show in, in August. I'm like, I, I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, no, I don't want it. 
You know, if, if anybody wants to know what I'm talking about in those regards, go on YouTube and watch anybody that filmed anything from any of the tour this past year. You'll know exactly why I feel the that past, way. the past eight years. Well, I, I mean the, uh, Early, well, they've been touring perpetually, it seems. Uh, so, but once they started like dropping the tunings in songs and then still not hitting the notes vocally, right? You know, you have a problem. <laughs> you know, you've heard the term jump the shark, right? Like a band is kind of jump the shark when they have to, you know, detune to D. Uh, most of their songs that are normally an E. Now, Kiss was always an E flat to begin with. So they tuned down to except C for in sharp. the 80s they they went to oh, yeah, in the standard 80s, they, yeah they went to standard tuning for all that um but now they're like in like c sharp or d and paul stanley still can't hit some of the notes um and yeah so anyway what does that have to do with rihanna absolutely nothing because she sang her ass off she performed fine but there were no special guests she sang her ass off two weeks before when she recorded the vocals no i think a lot of that was live at least it seemed to be no they um, say because remember everybody came down on the whenever the chili peppers played and they were like oh well they were miming and the chili peppers were like yeah you have to mime on the super bowl since no, like no, no, no. since the, before 2010 no the chili peppers the chili peppers had to mime because they're terrible and actually wait I take that back. They're not terrible. Anthony Kiedis is terrible. The dude can't sing live. And the dude doesn't sing on albums. So he doesn't sing. Um, that's just my opinion. But, uh, you know. But I don't think she was singing live, though. I think she was. I think she was partially singing live. Like the rapping last year, the halftime show with all the rappers last year. That was, that was, there was live rapping on that. Um, and then, uh, or maybe she was singing along with the track, right? Yeah, you know, that's, that's what possible. I think more is more likely that that's that that was possible. But I mean, I thought she was live. I thought she was live, but, um, but we can all agree that the Prince halftime show is still probably the best. So followed by Springsteen. Yeah, but far, far away. No, number Just, two. No, no, it's very far away behind up with people. And, you know, history of the Broadway show and, and you know, and number Ode one, Prince, number two, Springsteen, number three, Tom Petty. Oh, my God. Those were all great. Oh, Paul McCartney. McCartney was great. I might put McCartney above the Tom Petty one. McCartney was great. Uh, the who was OK. Yeah, they weren't too good. Yeah. Zach Starkey rocked. He always rocks. Show. He's always killer. He I rocked that halftime show. He held that whole thing together because everybody's just like watching him like cow out on the drums. Um, anyway. say, why am I a hater? I'm not hating. I, I thought I'm not saying she doesn't have a good voice. I'm saying <laughs> she wasn't singing live. I'm not. I, I don't. I'm not hating on her. I think it's just a fact. Gall McCartney says she got the funk out. Well, the one thing that we know that Gall McCartney can't do is get the funk out of all of his clothing. No, she got the, we do know that. No, she got the funk out because Nuno Betancourt was there. That's why she got the funk out. Yeah. Was he? He was. He yeah. Was didn't you see him on the stage? I, yeah. I, I was. They showed I, him for at least a second and a half. I can't believe oh, you didn't a whole second and a half. I, can't I was trying to see who realize. I was trying to see who was in her band. But 
we we couldn't see because like you saw him for literally a second and a half. So yeah, well, it was Nuna. Okay, I like getting that. the funk out. Getting the funk out. So if you don't like what you see here, get the funk out. Yeah, the exit is right there. Exactly. Do you like my shirt? I got a dig bick. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and it says, <laughs> I got a dig bick, and then it says, you that read wrong. And then below it, it says, you read that wrong, too. <laughs> so, That's good. That's a good it's a one. Very, it's a very special, very special episode of Cover to Covered. Speaking of special episodes, next week we're going to have a special guest. Um, nobody knows him, though. So, cause he's just a really good friend of mine who's going to happen to be here and I can't just like have him sit on the couch and play with Roger the whole show. So we're going to bring him into the show. His name is Rich Ritter and, uh, and he's a childhood friend, uh, best friend since high school. Uh, and he's a former bass player. So, uh, and, uh, we won't be doing the bass thing next week cause we want a real bass player, uh, with us <laughs> to actually, you know, talk, but, uh, Rich is rich, uh, rich likes music. And so it'll be nice to get like the everyman's take on what we have to say. So that's next week. Really exciting. Nobody you know will be on as a guest. <laughs> when, when did uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire play the halftime show, Pat? I don't remember that. That in like late 80s or something like that. I mean, I'm sure they were great. They're always great. But Do you re- well, speaking of bass players, Verdell. Verdine. Him too. Verdell. Yeah, I call him Verdell. <laughs> Verdine White. That guy's awesome. Oh, he's Great not Verdell, Verdell Green? No. Verdine White. Bruno Verdell. Mars. Your mom said Bruno Mars. Which which time? Wasn't he on like three years in a row? Like one year was him, and then he special guest with Beyonce the one year, and then he was on the Coldplay one too. First of all, screw Coldplay. Like, I'm sorry. Ever since, ever since, like Chris Martin was on the Grammys a couple of weeks ago, dressed like a, what did somebody say it was, like a, uh, like a, like a hippie summer camp counselor? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, not not no. I give up. Anyway, well, this is not a Super Bowl review show. This is a music nerd show, and you are I'm Mike, and that is Nick. Nick, what store do you own? We got to get to that part. Rock City Music Company. And where where are you located? Five Mile in Farmington in Livonia, Michigan. And where can we find you? RockCityMusicCo.com and all social media platforms. And what do you sell? Records, guitars, amps, drums. Let's rewind people. and go back to that first people. Let's go back to that first word. What was that first word? Records. And what are records made out of? Vinyl. And that's what today's show is about. Uh-huh, I see what you did there. We went all the way around for that. What's yes. happening, baby? Yeah. So why vinyl? We are going to talk uh, why vinyl. So we'll get there in a minute. But we have to get to something very important. Again, this is a very special episode of Cover to Covered where we have all the same segments we have every other episode. <laughs> and now it's time for Nick. What are you listening to? What have I been listening to? Well, I've been listening to the Brian Johnson audio book. That's a treat. <laughs> did, did he read it? Yes, he did. It's fantastic. And then there was this time I got all drunk, and then I sang a song, and then I got drunk again, and then it fell. That's, pre- that's pretty much it. You got it. <laughs> um, what else have I been listening to? Uh, hang on. 
Uh, oh, have you? Are you familiar with the Paul McCartney record called New? It came out in like 2013. No, it's outstanding. I I had it. I had it in my collection. I don't know if I bought it when it was new, or or I don't know. I it, I had it though, and I put it on the other day because I was like, why don't I remember anything about this record? And it's great. It's better okay. than um. I think he did Egypt Station after that, which was a solid record. This one's better than that. It's not better than McCartney 3, in my opinion, but uh, it's great. So I've been playing that a bunch. And then also I got uh, the 200-gram mastered at 45, very rare, XTC Skylarking. Nice. And it sounds totally killer. Is that the Stephen Wilson remix version? Yes. Awesome. And the correct polarity or whatever, because uh, do you know about that? That the positives and negatives were flipped or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. There's, so so the origi- the, yeah. there was no base. There was no or no it, low. It end. was out of phase. Right. Yeah. So uh, plus now there's now there's base. Oh 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 oh! Countdown to ecstasy. Yep. You got it. And I and I have this to show as a uh, example for um, what we're going to talk about later. But this is just sick. It's so good. Sick. It's sick, man. It's sick, man. I'm sick looking at it. I got you. Sick. Need one? No, I, I need I need can't buy a thrill in Asia. Like that's about it. Well, can't buy a thrills available. Why haven't you gotten it yet? Because I've been buying other things. <laughs> Stuff you didn't need. You need no, stuff I needed. More. Like that right there. Is that, that George metal Benson box. collection? The metal box? I can't no. see what it is. That is a Project VCE record cleaning machine. So I'm going to be talking about that later, too. We have some, we have some great uh, technological marvels happening in this episode that I learned how to use. So you're going to see, like, special effects Ooh. Maybe not special effects, but um, so cool. What else do you listen to, or is that it? That's it. I gave four things. That's probably oh, enough. That was four things. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I can't count. <laughs> I won't hold that against you. That's something I have in common with Gall McCartney. Because <laughs> <laughs> we can't, we can't count. Um, so what have I been listening to? Well, I, you know, the past couple of weeks I've been really hitting up a lot of discount bins and finding some real gems in there. And, and last week I picked up uh, I picked up Beatles Let It Be, original U.S. pressing uh, with the red Apple label as opposed to the green Apple label that we've come to know and love on most everything else that they had done on the Apple records. Record label. Uh, <laughs> it's so meta. Uh, so, uh, let it be sounds good now that it's clean. Um, I also picked up Beatles 62 to 66, same thing. Picked up, uh, long run by the Eagles, a few other things. I don't even like the Eagles, so I won't actually listen to it. Long runs their worst record. Yeah. That was the one that they said, this record is brought to you by cocaine. Yep. If you watch the, uh, if you watch the Eagles, uh, documentary that was on netflix the two-part documentary which is even if you're not an eagles fan i was fascinated by that thing it's uh, so well it? done yeah you yeah of course it. of course yeah, yeah it's great 
I'm, yeah, a, one, I'm an Eagles great. fan, so I, I was very excited to see that. I'm a Joe Walsh fan, so, like, it was, you know, his part in it. It's really interesting because, you know, it's not really brought out how much he had to do with that band. It's sort of like he was a successful guy with the James Gang, and then he was a successful solo guy, but he, he was still this guy in the Eagles, too, but he participated a lot in the writing. So, yep. you know, he wasn't just like a hired gun. He was like, but there. he was only he was only on two records. So I think that that's yep. why sometimes he gets it gets sort of pushed to the side because he I mean, he's on Hotel California, which is, of course, their and the long record run. and the long <laughs> run. But I mean, they had done what did they do five records before he showed up. So I think it's something like that. You know, they had they had a lot of hits before he showed up. But you're right. He's absolutely important to the to the situation and they did have a, they did have several hits before he showed up but a lot of those were like the country style rock hits you know like already gone and things of that nature he came in and it became a rock band you know that's at least that's what it seemed like to me that that's really when the tide turned and they became a rock band so i don't know man you ever heard james dean off of on the border no, because I don't like the Eagles. They were rocking pretty hard on James Dean. Not nah. well, they can rock all over James Dean. I don't care, you know. And he's dead anyway. What does he care how much they rock? That's on what him? the song's about. It's about him being dead. Yep. There you go. James Dean and is it, dead. And lyrically, it sounds like it took Glenn Fry about four minutes to write it. it sounds like he was making it up as they went. Uh, they those guys were so loaded back then. I think they just took words, threw them in a hat, and pulled them out. And had just the the last word of the sentences so that they rhymed like sort of set, and then just filled in the blanks with whatever they pulled out of a hat. That might be, I don't like the Eagles. What? I guess I not. But you're buying their records, so you're part of the problem. It was a dollar. That doesn't matter. It was a dollar. Mike bought it sight unseen, like James Dean. They bought it sight unseen. Yeah, that's they. the that's the line in the there song. You go. Oh, I just you know what? Realized, where's Mark Garney? I don't know. I think he got all upset that I put up that really strange picture of Roger as Gene Simmons on Facebook. And he was just like, ah, I need a plane ticket. I'll save you, boy. <laughs> like posted this long <laughs> post. Uh, oh, wait. You want to do a He's live protesting. unboxing? You want to do a live unboxing? Because I don't remember what the hell I got. Yeah, yeah. Let's see what's in all there. Right. Let's see. Let's hope it's something good. All right. I mean, there's probably at least one good thing in here, but I don't know what the rest is. So these are uh, from... Did you get it from me, Ian? I, they're VG Plus, VG Plus. And, uh, and uh, uh, the intrepid uh, John Byrne packaged this up once it got to the USA and uh, sent it over. So let's see. What did, I, what did I buy from Ian? Now, this was not one of the metal shows. Um, I know that for sure, but I totally forgot what I got. Oh, okay. Well, first of all, Ian spelled my name wrong again, even though it's all over Facebook. All right. This, well, this is, all right, this was worth getting. At least I think so. Uh, how do you misspell Mike? No, well, Mike, he got right. It's the Venezia part he got right. Ah, uh, okay. Um, which is why I'm just known as Chipmunk. But. Oh, yeah. Original Classic. pressing. Original pressing of Hot Rats. That's actually worth a couple of bucks. Uh, oh, yeah. That's right. The police regatta de Blanc. Uh, very rare album. Very rare album. Nobody has this, and I can't believe I got it. Wow. It's so rare. So rare. Only 60 million copies were made of this album. 
somewhere. Uh, and what is this? Hmm. Oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> it's not the best of, it's the most of the animals. <laughs> I lost you for a second. It's weird, my internet dropped out. Well, we got you. We see you. Okay. The last thing I heard you say was how uh, rare Thriller was. There was only 60 million. Yeah, only 60 million pressed. So, but now we got, we also got the most of animals featuring the uh, most of the most of not the best of it literally says the most of uh, with House of the Rising Sun. We got to get out of this place. Roadrunner. Let the good times roll. Hallelujah. I love so a bunch of other things. And uh, Michael Jackson with the Jackson five. I want you back the 88 remix which we all know is a remix that was done in 88 <laughs> you don't say i know right it's it it's kind of poetic is that is that hot rats a gatefold yeah yeah blue label or tan label let's see first of all yes gatefold nice uh let's see which one's the good one the blue bizarre label. Ah, crap. That's the that's the Can original. reprise label. That's a seventies press. Motherfucker. False advertising. I didn't pay much for it. <laughs> Still sounds good. I have both. I have I have both pressings. But the sixty-eight bizarre is a blue label. I think I think this is the first reprise pressing. Could be. All right, this is. I'm sorry, I'm making all sorts of noise. My microphone is not agreeing with me right now. There we go. Your red okay. mic cable makes it look like you're wearing suspenders. I am, just on one side. <laughs> that is it. I'm wearing one suspender. I am partially suspended. So anyway, all right, cool. So what's coming out this week, so that we can go out and buy all of them? Yeah, a handful of cool stuff. I I uh, I lost my notes when I did my uh, computer reset here, but I do have our invoice of what's coming. So <laughs> let me pull a couple of things up. Okay. Hey, works. These are getting reissued. Um, they came out about 10 years ago, but um, I think they're fantastic. Uh, least Deep Purple, uh, Live in Long Beach, 1971, and Deep Purple. I'm sorry, we, we lost you there. What was that again? Deep Purple what? Deep Purple. Deep purple. Live in Long Beach, 1971. All right, I've already asked Did you get twice. it that time? No. <laughs> okay. I got you Deep now. Now you're good. Now you're Let's good. Let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah, great. Next. All right. <laughs> I can't have windows open and read off of them and keep this going. This thing's finicky. See what else? All right. Yeah, what else? Uh, more Richie Blackmore, Rainbow, Live in Munich, 1977. The Motley Crue box set you talked about a couple weeks ago, Crucial Crew. The first five Motley Crue records are coming out packaged together in a box set on colored vinyl. Nice. And, and a reissue of Danzig's Circle of Snakes. I didn't yep. even know that that came out in the first place. So, yep, you got it, boy. You're not short enough. I know. I am fantastically taller than Danzig. You are, but not by much. <laughs> no, fantastically taller. 
I'm at know. least three feet taller than Danzig. It's not saying much. Well, he's only one foot. <laughs> he's like a hobbit. <laughs> hobbit! Hobbit! <laughs> hobbit! Tell your children not to take my precious. And a question. Did the Beatles ever get their music rights back after Michael Jackson bought it? Or is it in MJ Estate? Uh, he they sold that. Yeah. He sold those back. Paul got so, it back. And that's just, it wasn't, it, it was their, um, it wasn't the publishing, was it? Maybe it was the publishing. It yeah, was the, the publishing. Yeah, the Beatles got shortchanged like all the way back in the 60s. And yeah. the whole deal was, was Paul was trying to buy it back because it would have finally come up for sale. He was trying to buy it back with Yoko. And that's when Michael bought it. It was right out from under him. Yeah, which Bastard. of course made everybody happy. <laughs> right, right, as yeah. you can imagine. But they're back where they belong. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Paul got the last laugh, right? Because he's been alive like 15 years longer. So, <laughs> yeah, and he did more drugs. That's um, true. <laughs> all right. So, oh, wait, this is a good question. Danzig has more than one song, he's got a lot of songs. He's got three he's got, three bands worth of material. He's got mother. He's got father. Come on. Brother. Twist of Kane. Twist of Kane's actually a cool tune. Yeah. How Good the riff. Gods Kill. Yeah. Black Summer. Dirty Black Summer. Dirty Black Summer's a good one. Plus all the um, Misfits tunes. Her Black Wings. Yeah. Yeah. Under Her Black Wings. That's a good one. Yeah. Um you those, know that there, there, there's a bunch of cold tunes by Danzig. Just joking. Those around. four records are four, like the first four Danzig records are records that I cannot believe have not been reissued. No, and they they cost like a metric ton to purchase. Yep, they're like hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Yep, um, which is crazy. But again, we're talking about when were they released, and they weren't really there weren't a lot of press to begin with, and you know timing, etc., and so forth. So. Uh, it leads to these crazy numbers of very expensive records because they were produced in the early 90s or late 80s when things started to phase out. And you just can't find them. So, oh, speaking of things that I just, speaking of things that are hard to find and get, I got uh, Megadeth Countdown to Extinction. The so, MoFi one? No, not that I wish. But that was a reissue. I have the original European oh, wow. press, yeah. So... Um, Didn't the MoFi come out for record store day? I think it might have. It was like eight years ago or something like that. Which, speaking of record store day, I think yeah, the list. I think I think the list comes out tomorrow. Ah, all right. So we're gonna go, and then we're gonna we'll do this show tomorrow, <laughs> and that way we can we can report back. Now we'll do that next week. That'd be good. Uh, give the preview. Um, but for now, you know, we talk about record store day. We talk about records. We're talking about all these, but why? Because we love it. Yep. Right. We love vinyl. And that's the title of this episode. Why vinyl? Why? Why not MP3s? Why not streaming? Why not CDs? Why not cassettes? Why well, not eight tracks? I, no, I don't I don't know if I can speak for you, but I definitely would say for me it's because they're um they're easy to uh maintain and uh keep stored and uh they don't weigh a lot and uh 
it's much more convenient than everything being in your phone. Um, I would think for sure it's it's all of those reasons. Wait, you're saying a record collection is more convenient than everything being in your phone? Yeah. All right, there there is where I think you're wrong. That's definitely a pro for streaming and things of that nature. I was being sarcastic. I know, yeah, but yeah, I can't carry my you know almost thousand album collection in my car and just throw on a new album on the car record player, which those existed, um, which is even weirder that they exist <laughs> with like shock mounting and such. And there was underneath this, it was in front of the center console underneath the middle part of the dashboard. And that's what they would be mounted. Um, yeah, there were car record players. That's probably really good for your records. Yeah. Amazing for your records. Cause that needle never bounced. Never, never, Especially never skidded. In Michigan. Right. No potholes. <laughs> none. 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 The streets are paved with gold and are flat and smooth <laughs> all the time. It's like it's like driving on butter. Yep. Um, but anyway, so why vinyl records? Why is it preferred by audiophiles? What is it about the sound of a vinyl record that makes it different? Now, let's look at it from a different perspective first. When CDs first came out, everybody went mind blown the clarity it's crisp everything is brighter and louder and you can hear the articulation and everything is clean so what went wrong let me ask you that question what went wrong you're asking me i'm asking you what went wrong compression went wrong explain um well cds obviously were cut from digital sources which Mm -hmm. In some cases, especially the early run CDs, there's some there are some amazing sounding CDs because they were still being mastered properly. But then when it started getting to be the most popular format, and as things do, when it was designed for mass consumption, corners began getting cut and mastering began getting squashed. And by that I mean they were cutting the high end, boosting the low end, or boosting the entire thing so everything sounds so fucking loud that there's there's no articulation in anything it's just loud it's and, all dynamic yes and it's you, just all dynamic and bringing it to present day you really hear that how compressed and and brick walled everything is yeah. on streaming um if you're using spotify in your car or something they, they they can stream at a high bit rate but most people don't use that part of the service um but yes yeah, cds cds um the idea was good and then it and then it got away from what it what it was supposed to be, which was a more convenient version of high quality audio. Yeah. And they did succeed in some ways, right? In the sense of as opposed to having a double album, you have a single CD. Like that, you know, it's 74 minutes is what it started out at. You can actually extend it to 80 minutes of music on a CD without degradation of signal. Whereas if you kept putting more and more and more tracks on vinyl the more tracks you added to vinyl the less the 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 less um fidelity would technically be on that uh, on that record i think it's you're you're not supposed to exceed 17 minutes aside but 
bands did because oh, yeah. like, look at look at 2112 by rush the song is longer than 17 minutes yeah, yeah. you know so um you know yes if you go by the you know best practices 17 minutes aside would be would be appropriate and in a lot of ways a lot of those albums from the you know 60s and 70s and 80s if if you look at led zeppelin if you look at rush if you look at black sabbath if you look at any of these bands bruce springsteen they were like four songs aside four minutes per song 16 minutes it's like a 33 minute album yep right and that that this all goes back to why the music industry kind of sucks right now right that caused bands to be able to tour more and the reason why i say that is because they would tour because they had eight songs to play right they would tour they'd come back and then they'd record another eight songs the next year and put out another album yep and then they recorded and then you saw Led Zeppelin put out an album virtually every year. Rush put out an album virtually every year. Black Sabbath, Bruce Brown, all these artists put out an album every year. Why? It was eight to nine songs, maybe 10 if they were short songs, 35-minute albums max. Yep. You know, maybe 40 if it's Rush, because, like, one song, again, is, like, yeah. 20 minutes long. No more than that, though, usually. Yeah, that, was, that was it. Floyd or something. That was like it. Pink Floyd Animals is like 39 and a half minutes. And it's like five songs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but once you went beyond that, well, now you're in a double album territory. Because you have to, because otherwise the fidelity would completely suffer. The grooves would be too tight together. It was it was an untenable situation. Something had to give. So, um, you know, uh, that's the reason why that really, really worked is for what I just mentioned. It made bands produce more now you have metallica puts out an album every nine years mm -hmm. and then tours on it for 10 years <laughs> and and it's like well where's something new you know i also think though but that also ties into the discussions we've had before about yeah people don't buy records people don't, don't. buy music so they're yeah. not in any rush metallica i mean whoever it is pick pick whoever you want metallica yeah, is anybody. a good example because they do take a very long time between records but i think it's because nobody's in a rush to make a new record because you're not going to make it you're not going to make money off of it it's not going to no. happen no. so for a band like metallica it it it's not at the forefront of their minds like it once was or yeah. or a band you know i mean obviously rush aren't together anymore but you, you, yeah. any anybody you just mentioned putting out a new record is not on the forefront of bands minds anymore it's just no not, not anymore because it, they're not seeing the return from it they get more out of touring they get more out of merch they get more out of these things but again now that's a snowball effect it keeps going back to everything that we said well they're not touring as much therefore tickets are more expensive when they do tour mm -hmm. because they don't tour as much and they need to make all that money right meanwhile if they were putting out albums and they did a couple of you know six week runs yearly you know because people were buying the records well guess what price tickets come down it's more accessible to get tickets they could do more shows you can see them more often they could play secondary and tertiary markets because they're doing multiple tours instead you see a lot of bands and i'll be critical of rush for this one as time went on they played less and less markets Mm -hmm. You know, and there were a lot of fans that probably didn't get to see them closer to the end of their career. And why? Well, they got tired of touring. They were playing shows every other day or every third day, mm -hmm. you know, and they play. Uh, let's be honest. They play very played very complicated material and it was physically straining to do that. And it's hard to do that every night when you're in your late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. So I, I get that. And they didn't need the money. 
Right. They were doing it because they still loved it. Yeah. But that had its limitations. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, and, and you bring up a good thing with the markets because I think I see this all the time with, with you know, when bands announce tours. And, of course, the comments are always filled with, why aren't you coming here? Why aren't you coming there? Why aren't you coming? Yeah. And it's like we both live in major cities. You live in yeah. San Diego. I live in Detroit. How many times has San Diego gotten skipped on a tour? Probably. Tons. Right. And how many times has Detroit gotten skipped? A lot. It yeah. happens because there's there's uh, there's a money thing behind this and there's routing and all kinds of things and not oversaturating your market and all, all kinds of stuff but like to rush the case on rush like rush is going to play detroit they're not going to play grand rapids that's yeah. you know the days of three shows in michigan are are done yeah. for a band like that you yeah, play Ru rush rush would play rush would play two shows at the la forum none mm -hmm. in san diego right and it's three, you know, two and a half, three hours away. Yeah. That's not close. And there's 1.3 million people that live here. Right. It's one of like it's in the top like 12 cities, like as far as population. Yet bands skip over it. And why? Because the money's elsewhere and people spend that money elsewhere. And they, you know, it's a problem. Yep. It's a problem. But it all stems from this whole thing of like waiting five years to put out an album as opposed to being, I'm not saying that they need to be hungrier bands that have established themselves. I give them a lot of credit. They, they got to this point because they're good and they do what they do. Um, and, and, and there is something to be said for the fact that you've put in the time, you're now reaping the rewards. You don't need, it does take a lot out of you to tour. I totally get that. Yes. But creatively you have fans that would be more than happy to, see you more often and buy your records if you gave them more to buy, you know? And I mean, you can't like really the tide that I think, and you could agree or disagree with me on this one, the black album by Metallica changed this entire industry in a lot of ways because that album blew up so big for a hard rock slash heavy metal band. It was unprecedented. The amount the closest you probably could have gotten before that was hysteria, mm -hmm. you know, but Metallica was like this, the band that your parents hated, you know, and next thing you know, they blew up so big. They toured for five or six years on that album. And everybody's like, Whoa, they toured for five years on the album. Now they like tour like 20 years on an album, you know? Right. I mean, when did hardwired to self-destruct come out? 16. Right. So now we're in 2023. How many times have they toured in between? Right. Like almost hand. annually. Yeah. <laughs> You know, whether it was a, a show or a few shows or what have you. But like you so. said, a band like, you know, again, Metallica is a good example because Metallica don't they don't need the money. You know, the Metallica yeah. is doing it because they still like to go out there and do it, do it the way they've always done it and play big shows which and put is out fine. records and do which all is that, fine most people but, don't have that luxury to be but Metallica. people are suffering because of the pricing of everything because there isn't more music coming up they're not getting paid by the red though metallica probably gets more than a lot of other people yeah. let's be honest you know there, there are certain people that that but make they're not higher getting what points they were getting per paid album. on the black album no not anymore because there's because nobody's buying it right. you know because it's all in digital now. So now they're making the money in other ways and it's making everybody suffer. So anyway, back to the vinyl thing. To me, that that was like, you know, the the prime, you know, there were a lot of bands that came out, were able to put out an album and disappeared. That 
that happens less so now. And I know it sounds weird because it does happen, but it's, they don't put out an album. They put out a song and then they disappear now. Yep. You know, it's like when back in the day, like when the Bay city rollers did Saturday night, <laughs> you had to buy either the single or the whole album. Right. And nowadays it's like you stream the one song and you're like, Oh, I'm done. Yeah. You know, and that's why these bands disappear. They may have more to them, but they're not given a shot. Why? There's no album. And it forced you to be creative and come up with a body of work. That's where vinyl comes in. Cause that's, that was the basis for it. You had to fill two sides of a whole record with X amount of minutes. Now, Back then also, we talk about how there's like fewer songs per album. There's eight or whatever. The The modern record contract, actually, it's probably antiquated at this point. Uh, when I was in the music industry in the 90s and 2000s, the, the average record contract called for at least 11 songs in at least 38 minutes. So there were minimums, mm-hmm. right? You couldn't do less than 11 songs. You had to do three or four songs extra for imports. You know, because albums that go to Japan or CDs specifically, Mm -hmm. CDs that were in Japan or Europe or whatever would have like an extra song as like a bonus. Um, Why? I don't know. Um, But that's the way it was. So um, the the length of the album got longer and longer and longer. Right. Because 38 minutes was the minimum and nobody did minimum. Yeah. Because you do 11 songs at four plus minutes a song, well, you're at 45, 50 minutes. It's forcing people to not, to be creative, and you can't f- force creativity like that, in a sense. You're going to um, end up with a lot of bullshit. Exactly. So it's, you know, you heard the term all killer, no filler, right? We've done a show called All Killer, No Filler. Albums, complete albums that are great front to back, st- start to finish, right? Yep. Most of that happened in the 70s and the late 60s, for that matter. So 60s through, like, late 70s. You got all killer, no filler. 80s, fewer. Fewer. If so, what's that? But it happened. But it happened, and mainly in newer genres of music. So, like, thrash metal, things of that nature, because... You know, and and there were once in a while you get a pop, like, thriller. I mean, you know, we talked about thriller. Like, thriller is, is... Almost as much a perfect album for in the pop genre as you'll find. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason why it sold 60 million copies or whatever it actually sold, some nonsensical number. And, uh, you know, if you're forcing the creativity in your record company on, you know, trying to press on these 23 year olds, but they're not touring because, you know, they're getting all beat up on the road and you're forcing them to put out another album. You're just shoving more songs down people's throats that aren't really working. And now you have a CD that nobody really wants because it's got a ton of shit that sucks. You took your best eight songs and put it on a record. You know, so for me, it's like this is a this is a story. It's telling the whole story of the band at that part of their career. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you do you agree with that? Or Yes, absolutely. I think the. um that's one of the great things about um classic records especially on vinyl is a lot of these guys you know i've talked about Jimi hendrix a few times and and zeppelin and pink floyd and bands like that like they, they put an effort into even the order of the album and how how you heard it when you put it on the turntable this song went into this one because it had a had a uh you know a vibe connection to it or whatever and there's ebbs and flows in the record and and 
you know, some of the, some of the CDs can can uh, keep that at least, you know, because it keeps the track list. But you don't get that side flip in there. Like I know you you don't like Springsteen, but like Born to Run, the side one ends with Backstreets, and then when you turn that over onto side two, the first track is Born to Run. Like you you the 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 trip that you go on is is amazing like you have to see that as a full piece of work electric ladyland is a full piece of work dark side of the moon is a full piece of work you're not you're not supposed to take one track off dark side of the moon and play it it it, in some cases it works but you know what i'm saying it's best heard as an experience and and i think you get that the most on lp stop right there we need to bring this up because you brought up dark side of the moon (laughs) you know what i'm gonna say Roger Waters. Yes. All right. I already before know be, before I get angry, let me give him credit for writing some of the most famous albums of all time. All right. Dark Side of the Moon and the Wall. Classics. Classics. And the other two are still his concepts. To be fair, Wish You Were Here and Animals, he's also pretty much, I wouldn't say solely responsible, but mostly responsible for. And the final cut is not horrible. No, but it's horrible compared to those four. It is because it's very, <laughs> very much almost not a Pink Floyd album. Yeah. Roger Waters has re-recorded Dark Side of the Moon. Yes, you you heard it here. He actually has done this. He has gone and re-recorded the 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 album that was on the billboard charts the longest in history one of the most popular albums one of the most influential albums ever made and he's re-recorded it at whatever he is 74 years old no he's older than that he's almost 80 i think he's like 78 or 79 whatever he is find out Uh, he's just old so (laughs) whatever he is he's just old (laughs) and roger is digging for something i don't know what but Roger Waters will be 80 this year. Oh, there you go. So Roger Waters, approaching 80 years old, did something a senile person would do, and that's re-record. Well, okay, so it's ridiculous. No, No doubt. Okay, but at the same time, you know, being in the industry, how many bands or artists have done this where they re-record the songs because those are the songs they want to license. They want to license those songs for commercials or movies or whatever because chances are some label head or a manager has his hand in the original piece of the pie. So they go in, like Brian Adams, for example, two weeks ago, I think we talked about it on the show, or at least I brought it up as a new release. He put out a greatest hits collection that was all of his greatest hits re-recorded now. They're putting that out because Brian Adams wants the new version of Summer of 69, which sounds just like the other one, only he sounds older singing it. Um, those are the ones they want to put in movies. I got my first real six string boy at the 10 and $20. <laughs> That's the modern version, right? Yes. Uh, you got it. it. Look, this is... Roger Waters has secretly re-recorded Pink Floyd classic Dark Side of the Moon. I wrote the Dark Side of the Moon. Let's get rid of all this wee crap. Ex-bandmates creative input dismissed. They can't write songs. They've got nothing to say. They're not artists. <laughs> I don't know about that, of course. But, I mean, also, 
look at momentary laughs a reason and division bell and see how they stack up against any Roger Waters records. They don't. They so don't. He, he has but they're not point. bad. They're not. Doesn't good. mean they can't write. You know. They're not. I, good. Look, they're learning not the learning the fly. The learning the fly is not is no money. I I get it. You know. High hopes is great off division bell, but again, it's like it. He, Roger Waters is obviously an asshole of a human being. I yes, don't think anybody I don't think anybody would dispute that, but you also can't dispute that in a lot of ways he's an a, he's a genius when it comes to concept songwriting and especially in that era. I mean, those you know, show me somebody else other than the Beatles and Zeppelin who have those kind of accolades where they've written like five records that are just phenomenal. Like pointed at as the greatest records of all time, like in the top 20. So his point while being a complete dick isn't necessarily wrong. In my opinion, here's a direct quote. Of course we were a band. There were four of us. We all contributed, but it's my project and I wrote it. So blah, that is his, that is an, a direct quote. What a dick. <laughs> like, all right, look. Taylor Swift re Swift re-recorded her entire catalog. Why? Because it was a whole thing with the record company and the owning uh, of the publishing and all that other stuff. I get it. Def Leppard did the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, I get that. I get that. This is just, you're almost 80 years old. Like, Why? And I guess the answer is because he can, really, in well, the this, end. This all stems, too, from in, you know, the mid-'80s when he had left Pink Floyd and he felt it should be a dead thing without him in it. And obviously it's well documented that oh, him yeah. and David Gilmore went to, and, yeah, so and so forth. And, and uh, David Gilmore won, of course, and has been able to release things and tour as Pink Floyd. I know he hasn't in a long time, but he was able to do that for a very long time. Yeah. And I know it, in interviews, like Roger has stated before, it was a hard pill to swallow while he's playing a half-empty arena. And Pink Floyd, quote-unquote, is playing a football field down the street playing all of his songs. So I think it it's coming again. I'm not I'm not trying to justify it, but I think there there's always been this this spite thing between the two of them because as much as they can't stand one another, they neither one have been great without the other. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but David Gilmore, I think, is completely rested on what they've contributed as a band, and Roger Waters is still out to prove that he was the mastermind behind it because i think a lot of times people think david gilmore was so i don't know i i just find the whole thing really childish and very stupid and he's gonna go to his grave w not changing anybody's mind i'm sorry like you didn't need to go re-record and he's doing it for spite too he's looking to totally totally catch on to the whole fact that it's the 50th anniversary of dark side of the moon mm -hmm. and again the box set comes out in almost exactly a month which I can't wait for. It's going to yep. be amazing. It's going to be fantastic. Yep. It's just so dumb. And 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 I honestly think that it's it it's it screams I'm thirsty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like look at me. I'm Roger Waters and like nobody fucking cares anymore. 
You know, just keep your royalties and have a nice day. And when I saw him earlier this this year, this summer, on I forget what they were, the This Is Not A Drill Tour, the show opened with a version of Comfortably Numb that while the band came out like one at a time, mm-hmm. that was a total different arrangement of Comfortably Numb, but you could tell what it was, you know? And so I wouldn't be shocked if he's redone all of the wall too, because there was there was a couple moments in that show where they were playing a track as like an interlude and it was stuff from the wall. Yeah. So he's already re-recorded some of that. So I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's disturbing. It's his but, thing. You know, it is his thing. So as an artist, if he wants to redo it, let him, let him redo yeah. it. And People that's a huge, to buy it, you know, this has been a huge digression, <laughs> but uh, I think it just illustrates a point that, you know, that those, you know, that collection of songs, those nine songs or whatever's on the album, I forget. Um, it's nine. You know, nine. Yeah. So it's on that album, on that vinyl, sounded incredible. People loved it. Wizard of Oz. Uh, <laughs> that was more of a CD DVD thing, but, you know, <laughs> still. Um, the, the, at the end of the day, vinyl just sounds better, mm-hmm. right? And why does it sound better? Because is it nostalgic? It is for us of a certain age. For people like you, you, um, I don't think it's as much much nostalgia as it just fucking sounds better. Like it doesn't take you back to the time when you first got the album, when you first bought Born to Run in 1976 or whatever it was because you weren't alive. Right, but but they just sound better because they're warmer, and if you have a halfway decent system, it sounds just as good, if not uh, just as clear, if not. Well, I don't know if it could sound clearer than a CD, mm-hmm. uh, but it definitely can sound as clear as one, where you would not be thinking that you're missing anything out of it. Are maybe some of the super highest frequencies not there? Maybe. Can your dog tell the difference? Maybe. Can you? Probably no. Not. Is that mid-range warmth there that you just cannot get with a CD because of all the compression and everything else? Oh hell yeah. Yeah. Especially CDs in the last, you know, from like 1997 and forward. I mean, yeah. Nothing sounds It's good it's too much. Yeah, like everything just sounds bombastic and in your face. Everything is on 12, not 10. It's all on 12. So it's just like boom, boom, boom. You know, the bass is pushing you out of the room, which can be cool if it's rap or, you know, some sort of pop music or EDM or or what have you. But guess what? You can get those big drops on a record, too. Yep. (laughs) You know, you don't need that. So and by the way, there's a reason why DJs don't really scratch CDs that much. That's a thing, but it's not a thing at the same time. It's not, you know, you can't go like wiki, 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 wiki. And they, they exist. You could there are CD scratching things, but it's all done digitally. There's a delay of there's a lag of some such, you know. Whereas with a record, it's it's organic. It's there. It's the sound of rap. It's the sound of DJing. It's the sound of scratching. And that that's you can't reproduce that. You definitely, could you imagine a DJ with cassettes? No, you could rewind real quick. Yeah, rewind really quick. Rewind, play, rewind, play, rewind, play, <laughs> play, 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 pause. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so that doesn't yeah, really cassettes, work. I mean, cassettes just sound absolutely awful. If you ask me, I've never heard a cassette that sounds good ever. 
Yeah. And and let's not let's not even let's not gloss over the fact that packaging on vinyl is that much better. That's let's be the honest. Biggest, that's the biggest thing, and I think people you know people ask me all the time in the store about why do I think young people are buying records, and I think I mean I've talked about this before. Like I think it's because younger people, especially people younger than me, I'm 32, grew up in a time where there was no physical format you know i yep. grew up with a, a a dad that was a music cd lp tape collector so i was surrounded yep. by physical format but most of my friends weren't and i think anybody younger than me that experience of having you know having this and being able to take it out and hold a physical item and put it on the turntable and drop the needle I that showed you this. Goodness. What was the first thing you asked me? Is it a gatefold? Yep. Like, yes. Oh, it, why? Yes, it is, Nick. Why do yep. you ask? Well, because it's that much more awesome having all this artwork than like flipping through a book that you're reading when you're on the crapper. Yep. You know, this is this is art. Th this is artwork. Artwork isn't meant to be this big. Could it still be art if it's this big? Sure. But, but it doesn't have the is, same impact. No, not at all. Not at all. Sergeant you know, Pepper looks best this is on our an LP cover. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it's an incredible album that with that, that front cover that's iconic. And you're like, who's, is that WC Fields? I can't tell because it looks like he's 10,000 yards away. I mean, when you get the album, you're like, oh, okay. Well, let's see. Uh, there's the Beatles. Oh, look, there's younger Beatles. Oh, and who are all these other people? And, you know. It's a cool thing, and it's tactile. You hold it. You could beat somebody with one of these. Try to beat somebody with a jewel case. doesn't work. It no. cracks. This will hold up. <laughs> but, yeah, the art part of it, for me, that's, that's, that's almost as important as, this, as the fidelity of, of an album. Yep. You know, just having that. And, and when I was a kid growing up, you know, here's the nostalgia. I bought, you know, when, when Live After Death came out, I bought it new. And Live After Death, one of the best, you know, live albums there is, had this huge booklet. And it wasn't a booklet. It wasn't a booklet. It was, it was a, a fucking, was almost a, a tour program, yeah. essentially, that came with it. That was pages and pages and pages. And it, it, it told you every tour date, when they played, when they got, the, like, all their equipment. Like, I poured over that. Why? Because it was just this awesome thing. Like, wow, I'm learning all about the band. Can you get that from a jewel case? You can. But, but does that have the same, same impact to what you say? No, absolutely not. Right. So why don't you show us what came in that in that Steely Dan box, just to give an example as to what you won't get with a lot of other media. Right. Okay, so first of all, it's a slip case. Got the textured leather box. This now, what he means by slipcase is it literally slides out as yep. opposed to being like a book style and opening. This, I always love to point this out from uh, Analog Productions in the UHQR series. This is a wooden dowel that has the title on it. That's, that's, is it printed or is it engraved? It's engraved. Wow. It is engraved. Um, and then inside, let's see, you get. Little thing from Chad Chasm, the audiophile king, and here a little note about their whole process. And this is a picture of the patents of the UHQR and the Clarity Vinyl for those that care. 
then you get a breakdown of what is a UHQR and how do they make the record and such. Very, very important nerdy stuff in here. You see the whole process of how this LP was made, which is fascinating. Plus an insert for the uh, Acoustic Sounds fall calendar. Or uh, fall releases, I should say. Then, here is the jacket for Countdown to Ecstasy. You can see my ring light in the reflection. Yeah. But uh, this is printed at Stoughton, which is the ultimate jacket company. All the lyrics inside. So as we're talking about with a gatefold, you can read along while you're listening to the music. You notice this is very shiny. It's Not very shiny. And it's, uh, where is it? Uh, it is numbered. Right there, yep. you see it? Number 1448. Number 1448 out of... No, I got, no, Nick, you know the first hundred always sounded better. Yep, always. Um, which I think these are limited to 20,000, I think. Um, and then, you got to be real careful with this. You get two LPs, because this is mastered at 45, in these awesome inner sleeves. These are my favorite inner sleeves. They say quality record pressing on them. Quality. That's all and, I use for my records. And they don't scratch the LP as it comes out. Yep. Um, this is it's, clarity it's rice, vinyl. It's rice paper backing and like a like a plastic sheathing in front. It's, it's supposed to be anti-static, too. Yes, and, it, and I think that it... For the most part, it is. Um, and then, obviously, you saw this is clear vinyl. Yep. Yep. Two songs aside, as we were just dis <laughs> discussing. Two songs per side, because this is an eight-album, or eight-song album. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so two LPs in there. And, again, it's it's two albums per side because it's mastered at 45. Nick said mastered at 45, which means that, uh, or it's a half-speed master of 45, which means that, it is cut to spin at 45 RPM. A standard album is 33 and a third RPM. So by playing it faster, that's how you're going to get the right speed. But it's also a half-speed master, which means it was cut slower for better, more accurate reproduction overall. Yep. So those two things together make for a better sonic experience. And now, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Clarity Vinyl is essentially the same as the black records that you own, except without the part that makes it black. Therefore, it's a purer form of the vinyl when it's cut. You're absolutely true, correct. That is absolutely what the deal is with the Clarity Vinyl. And they claim that not adding that dye makes it less susceptible to noise, pops, clicks, etc. And I have to say, this is, I think, the fourth uhqr that i own i have hendrix two steely dans and bob marley and uh these records are silent i mean mm. they they're they're when i say they're silent like they are silent <laughs> well it looks nice how much was it 150 bucks i'll give you 148 you can buy one brand new from acoustic sounds for 150 oh. so <laughs> it's not worth a ton of money yet but yeah. it will be Hey, Nick, turn up, your, turn up your mic again. It's doing that getting quieter thing. I think because I'm sitting back, too. No, um, no, but, no. It's it's just, it does it progressively throughout the show. You just get quieter. Is that better? Yes. Okay. Much um, better. But, you know, like I always say, you get what you pay for. This is a fully analog source 
reissue from the original master tapes cut by Bernie Grudman. Uh, you saw the nice jacket. Of course, the box. Clarity vinyl. Sounds amazing. 200 gram. Uh, mastered at 45. You're not going to hear the Steely Dan album sound better than this. I promise you. Now, when we say 200 gram, 180 gram, 140 gram, you know, what, why is that important? Why is, is that important for the vinyl? Why is the, why does that make that, why does it make vinyl better? It's the thickness of the record itself, of course, but they claim that the thicker the record, they, they can cut the grooves deeper, which gives it more sonic equality i don't know what's the word i'm looking for mike sonic fidelity fidelity there we go yeah, yeah. so you get more bass more high end it could be more yep. uh dynamic and also um, if it's if it's thicker vinyl that means it's heavier vinyl which means it's less susceptible to vibration when it's on the turntable the needle is not moving as much in there as it's going through the grooves it's sitting tighter in it because it's the the because the vinyl itself is sitting flat on the on the on the turntable itself so but I know some that's another part of it. Some people think that that's BS because you have you had great sounding records in the 70s yep. and those are normally 140 120 grams even on yeah. some of the RCA Dynaflexes like David Bowie Hunky Dory's a Dynaflex which was yeah. super thin vinyl you can almost see through it and that record sounds incredible. So it's you know I guess some of it some of it might be hype some of it may be true I don't know. Because both and, both sides raise a good point. And we've we've talked about this before on the show too. Actually, part of the weirdness of the, the different thicknesses in the 70s, especially in the late 70s, was because of the oil crisis. So when the oil crisis happened in the late 70s, they were using less and less material to make the records because it got that much more expensive to do. So they went as thin as they could. That's why when you could kind of see through them, that's when that really happened. A lot of times in the mid to late 70s during the great oil crisis. So... It's funky as well on that end, but nowadays I guess we're we're okay with you know oil. Uh, I don't know because we're making like <laughs> what's next like four hundred gram albums that just you know weigh as much as a can of soda like one pound. Two hundred must be the must be the top because I've never seen anybody go higher than that. So there must be some yeah. reason why nobody has moved past two hundred gram. I know that it's probably not more than that, but the Radiohead OK Computer I got is one of the thickest vinyls I've ever had, and it doesn't claim to be 180 or 200 or anything, but it's, it's at least it's at least 180. The thing yeah. is thicker than the average 180 that I have. It's like inflexible. <laughs> when the when the reissue, you know, like boom started in like I don't know 06, 07, 08 in that era. The records that you, that you could get, like the quality of them, especially from Rhino, hmm. who were heading up a lot of reissues, like all the Sabbaths and yep. um, Pantera, Pantera, of, all yeah. that. They made um, incredible jackets, super thick records. Were using the original master tapes. You you were getting the liner notes in there, yeah. um, and they were like, I, I remember the Pantera records, even the double yeah. LPs, like Vulgar and stuff. Were like they were like twenty five bucks. Yeah. Now it's now you like, can't touch them. No. No, and the Sabbath, I mean, I mean they were like sixteen ninety nine, yeah, which is fucking nuts. Because yeah. now, I mean, like the store, my store can only stock Sabbath records pretty much on import. Um, the Rhino ones aren't in aren't in print anymore. And when they redid them a few years ago, they were all digitally sourced. They got rid of the analog masters that yeah. Chris Bellman did in two thousand five or whatever. Which I don't know why they did that, but um, yeah, digitally those sourced now. And and to your point with the covers, the covers were so thick it was like on like, it was like on business card stock. Mm -hmm. 
Like, they're built to last. Unlike every European or UK press I've ever seen, which we've talked about that before, you know, like, like this, this post-it note, I think, is thicker and would hold up to more than some of those people like, oh, I got a UK version of, of this. Like, oh, how's the cover? That's the first question that happens. Right. How's the cover? This is another one with a super thick jacket. I don't know if Stoughton does these for MoFi, but... They're 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 built very well, but not even as well as the analog productions. Because look at that. Yeah, you got a blowout. Yeah. Yep. Seam split from the record, getting jammed around in here. Yep. Yeah, it's you know, but again, vinyl is what allows this to happen. Vinyl is allow is what causes these conversations to occur. Vinyl is the reason why we we look at these things. And I, and I'll be honest, you know, in the eighties and nineties, I wanted nothing to do with it. I still had some. And when I say in the 80s, I mean like 89. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Uh, into like the early 90s. Like I just wanted no part of it. But then, you know, then I started getting into it again. I'd buy an album here, an album. They're like, oh, it's on vinyl. That's cool. All right. You know, and then, you know, about 10 years ago when I first moved here to California, I started buying a lot more, you know, because the first thing I bought when I got here was a turntable in 2013. It was the first thing I bought for myself. Amazing. Like, All right, cool. And then it was like, all right, well, but then, you know, like I'd go to a, I was in Detroit and you were, you know, you had a booth at a record show and I'm walking around and everything's like two and three and five dollars. And like That's if something right. was ten dollars, if something was ten dollars, like, oh, ten dollars, you're overcharging. Oh, you know, and you used to buy like I, I was uh, I was going through my uh, I was looking for a Slayer album. I found a couple of Slayer albums I bought at Amoeba new like six years ago. Mm-hmm. They were 15 bucks. Yeah, I still had the tags on them. Yep. Like, you know, now it's... Now it's I remember when the Slayer, the, the vinyl conflict box, when that mm-hmm. first came out, which I think was 2010, uh, which if you're not familiar, it had all the Slayer records in it, including Decade of Aggression. So yeah. what is it? What, you know, 10, which is hard four, to get. 14 records, whatever it was. It was 99 bucks list price. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember being like... No, I'm not going to get that because I already have Rain and Blood. Like, what What the fuck was I thinking? You know? And now, how much are they now? The last time I saw a sealed one sell, it was like $850. Exactly. So, Which is crazy. You know, and then there's, then there's the other side of it where people think it's going to go, it's going to go, it's going to go, it's going to be huge, and then it just falls flat on its face. Mm-hmm. Best example is Fear Inoculum by Tool. You yep. Know. I'm sitting on three of those. Still. Yep. And now they're selling for less than 100 bucks. They were 200 bucks when they first came out, and then nobody bought them. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah, I think people, well, people started buying those signed ones at the shows. That were $805. Which is crazy. But the reason why they bought them was also there was, uh, never mind the fact that they were all signed, there was the I got it first factor because those came out before the mass, mass released ones. So yep. they were selling them exclusively at shows during the tour. But $805 for a five-album box set where, I got to be honest, the packaging is badass. I dig it. I like the fact, I know you hate Tool, but I dig the fact that it's like a book. And there are five LPs in there with like two songs, sometimes one song aside, uh, And the other side is an etching. Mm-hmm. And the etchings or the laser etchings are really, really cool. I thought the packaging was innovative. I thought Does it was great. Does that play at 45? I think so. 
Okay, so amazing, probably incredible fidelity on that because they're single-sided, cut at 45 RPM, which is what Classic so. Records was doing in the early 2000s, and everyone thought they were out of their fucking mind. So good on Tool it is, for that. Because it is five LPs, so I mean, you know. <laughs> right. Um, though, like, the songs are 17 minutes long, so... That's <laughs> true. They might not be cut <laughs> at 45. I would have to double-check. Uh, I, I, it's, it's over there. Like right there. I want to find Static X on vinyl. Well, we I think we have Wisconsin Death Trip on in stock right now. Yeah, it's been it's been reissued, and the the most recent albums you know have been. Um, uh, I got the most recent one on green vinyl. Uh, they're playing down here in April. Going to be seeing my boys. Hey, those guys. Me, maybe you know this, or well, we should talk about it off the air. Never mind. Okay, great. Because you're not going to say anyways. What what is it? What's the question? I'll tell you whether or not I won't. I know you're not going to talk about it on here. Do you know who who's who's under that mask? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> yes, I do. I know exactly who it is. Is it who everybody thinks it is? Who does everybody think it is? The guy from Dope. I don't know. He did the tick. It's the guy from Dope. It's it's actually it's actually Putty. From oh, Seinfeld. from Seinfeld Street. <laughs> nice. I'm with a customer. I'm just I'm I'm just gonna leave it with I know who's under the mask. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, and he's he does a good job. I think he does a good job. Um, anyway, different story. So yeah, I mean vinyl is awesome. Vinyl is great. We love vinyl sonically. It just gives warmth. Uh, the fidelity is there if you have a decent system. If you have a Crossley or a close and play or something like that. You're not going to do all that great with it. Um, there is something to that where, you know, you don't need to be an audiophile, but you need to put a little effort into it. <laughs> you yes. know? Yeah, uh, I tell people that all the time. It's like, don't buy your turntable at fucking Target. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, you can spend most, and I'm not advocating you got to spend $1,500 for a no, turntable. You don't. But if, if you want to... You're going to spend twenty five, thirty, forty, fifty dollars on new LPs. At least buy a hundred and fifty, two hundred dollar turntable from Audio Technica. You know they yeah, make. If, you know they make good turntables for that amount of money. If you buy an album that costs as much or close to as much as what your record player costs, there's a problem. Right. That's that's definitely a problem unless it's a collectible. You know, like I. You know, I bought, and I, I've told this story before. I have a Project uh, Carbon DC turntable. I love it. I upgraded the platter. I did the acrylic platter because there, there are different types of platters that you can buy. Aluminum tends to ring a little bit and gives a little bit more of a metallic sound, uh, and it vibrates differently, whereas acrylic uh, absorbs vibration, so it's much quieter, so I upgraded that. But even with the upgrade, yeah, I bought it used, so between the 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 turntable, the platter, and I did put a two hundred dollar cartridge on it. I put the Ortofon uh, blue, blue, yep, which is amazing for two hundred bucks. All that cost me about five hundred dollars. Yeah, it's a steal, and and you never have to upgrade that turntable if you don't want to. If nope. you choose to, that's different. But you yeah. could go for the rest of your days and enjoy your records with that yeah. turntable and that cartridge for 500 bucks. Exactly. So, and you know, new all of that would have cost a heck of a lot more, you mm -hmm. know, because the turntable new when it first came out was $500 alone. 
Right. You know, so, uh, so anyway, and I pieced all that together. You know, I, 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 the speakers I bought used those, those huge things back there that sound absolutely amazing. They're, they're Polk speakers from 1982. They weigh like 80 pounds each. <laughs> they have dual tweeters, four mid range and a 12 inch radiator sub in each one of them. And they sound absolutely amazing. And I bought those two for $275. Look at that. So that's fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, now you could probably find them for about 400 for for a good pair, but new when they came out at the time and we're talking 1982, you couldn't touch them for 1500 bucks. You know. So, it's again, you don't need to spend a lot of money, but you do need to put some effort into it. Yes. You know, That's you a need good to put way some to put effort it. into it. So, um, and Nick, I mean, I'm sure your system is like something like, well, I, you know, my tone arm was made by the Aboriginal people of the Southern Sahara and it was blessed by a priest on top of some sort of mountain. But my, my turntable is pretty actually, actually pretty normal. It's all my other components that are fucking insane. So yeah, run through it. Okay. Well, I've got a tech, do I have a, no, I have a pioneer sx 1000 which is basically a techniques 1200 turntable i used to have a yamaha d 71p which was like the highest end turntable in the 70s it was great but it was super finicky because it was so like there it had a hanging weight on it and shit it was so does mine okay yeah so it was it was it was great but it i i felt like i had to calibrate it all the time but this was but was it one of those like the big big wooden frame and you know it'd sit in the frame and yeah and i and i love that turntable but it just it became too much work so i got a more you know pared down turntable it's more like a dj turntable like you were mentioning because it's got the break in it and uh and all of that but great turntable Ortofon blue cartridge, which I think is the just amazing for two hundred dollars. Yeah. Phenomenal. A lot of people buy the red for a hundred, which is a great yeah. cartridge as well. If also you have a great the money, cartridge, yeah. If you have the money, spend the extra hundred bucks because the red to the blue is like ten times the difference. Yeah, it is. It is definitely. It far surpasses the hundred dollar increase in price, without a doubt. So I have an Ortofon blue cartridge, and then I have a Pioneer SX twelve fifty receiver, which is the mac daddy of the sx series of pioneer from from the 70s is it a silver face yep yeah yeah if you bought if you bought one on ebay right now it would be about twenty eight hundred dollars wow and then the speakers i have are jbl um i'll never remember the model names but they're tower three-way speakers again super high end from from late 70s those last i looked were about seven eight hundred bucks and uh i've got a super uh heavy duty jvc cd player too which which plays all the super audio cds and such um i do have a preamp but i can't remember what it is it's kind of a cheapo like 250 dollars phono preamp yeah you Um, don't need to go crazy with a preamp it's just good if you have one now there are some receivers that have pretty good phono stages within them but it's and it's important to note that you can't just take your, you know, if you have a re- uh, a receiver from say the early late '90s to early 2000s, probably doesn't have a phono input. No, and you can't just plug into the DVD input. Nope, or the aux input or anything. You need to have 
you need to have what's called a preamp. In other words, it, what it does is there's a, there's a signal that comes out of the turntable, and it's a very low level. And then you have to put it into a preamp that boosts that level. And then it takes that boosted level and puts it into your receiver, and then that comes out your speakers. It's the same thing with this microphone, essentially, mm-hmm. right? And same thing with the microphone that, that Nick is using. It's, it has power. It's being powered, but it's not electrical power per se. It's called phantom power. So what it does is it takes the signal that's coming in, boosts it, then it goes into whatever we're using to get it on, on over the air. So, and that happens in every recording studio and there are certain types of mics that do that. These are called condenser mics. And that's why, that's why that needs to happen. So if you want to look, if you're a musician, you know what a condenser mic is, but you don't know about turntables, you could think of a turntable as a condenser mic and you need to have something that's going to boost that signal in order for you, to, for you to hear it and be amplified properly through your speakers. Now, if you took a turntable and you plugged it into the auxiliary inputs, would you be able to hear it? Yes, if you turn the knob max, and it'll still be low. And it's going to be a lot of hum, too. A lot of hum, a lot of hiss, a lot of noise. It's going to sound like absolute shit. So do yourself a favor. You can even spend 100 bucks. That there's, there's, you know, I had one for the longest time, and it was actually a headphone amp, a headphone preamp, and I used that. You turn, you uh, or you uh, orbit, whatever that comp- No, you turn. You turn. You. They make a fantastic phono preamp that's like seventy nine bucks. Yeah, it works. They, they it work great. Great. There's another company called Shit. Like literally, they're called, called Shit. Shit. It, yeah, S C H I I T. Okay. So you can call it Shit or Shkit, however you want to call it. But they have something uh, that, like the Shkit Manny or something like that. And it's $125. It's one of the best rated budget preamps that you could possibly get um, sold directly by by the company. Um, and it, it comes to it's they're made here in California, actually, and here in California and also in Texas. They have two places they make them. So um, those sound great, too. So if you're doing anything like that, that's going to help your experience with vinyl, you know, and it's going to bring out all that warmth and it's going to bring out all that all those frequencies that you that are cold and harsh with cd mm-hmm. you know that make and, it sound a lot of people use the the terminology that the cd sounds lifeless yeah which is a it good way to soulless. put it yeah yeah you because know. when you put on you put on a clean good sounding record with decent components yeah and you you'll you'll be blown away and of course we've talked about before you know, you can get a preamp alone, you know, a Macintosh tube preamp oh, that's that's twenty five thousand dollars. You don't it, it, you don't need that. I'm sure no. I'm sh- don't get me wrong. I'm sure people that have those systems, I'm sure something like that. Steely Dan, I was showing it probably sounds uh, fucking insane because yeah. th- it sounds great on my setup. So I can imagine if you had a forty fifty thousand dollars setup, I'm sure it's mind blowing. But most people can't afford to do that, myself no. included. So no, the the people that are doing that, they're paying twenty five thousand dollars for a preamp. That means their house probably costs twenty five million dollars, and they have the space to do it and turn it up to where it actually makes a difference. Right. That's the other thing too. A guy like me who lives in a one bedroom condo, I can't turn this thing up like I want to. You know, it. I'm not allowed. No. So, I, you know, I'll get thrown out. So I turn it up to a certain level to where I feel it's borderline uncomfortable. 
and I leave it there and it sounds great. And if you can get away with that, you know, when you turn it up more and you push it even harder, you're going to get even more out of it. So, yep. yep. Um, so yeah, just, again, just make sure that you're putting, again, you don't have to spend a ton of money, but you do need to put some effort into it. And then if you have good components, solid components, then you can go and start doing all the collecting you want and finding all those albums. You can go to Discogs, eBay, or just call Nick and he'll ship you all the albums you want. Yep. So now that is a big part of what I wanted to talk about, what we wanted to talk about today. Second part we're going to talk about, I'm going to go through it quick or quicker is how to take care of this collection. Right. So ready for, ready for fun stuff. Sure. Let's see see what you, what you learned how to do. Let's see if I can make this work. Oh, nice. Look at this, except I'm on slide six. I want slide one. All right. So there are different things that you can do to keep your albums clean. When you take an album out and it's fresh and brand new, you still need to clean it. There's a lot of static involved. That's going to affect your sound. You're going to get crackling and things of that nature. There's going to be residue from the lathe that cut it. Um, there's like a film like kind of thing. You can have like filmy kind of residue. You want to make sure you clean it, even if it's new. All right. We're going to go through a few different ways that you can do that from stupid cheap to stupid expensive. All right. This right here, this is what we call a microfiber cloth. Nick, would you agree this is the cheapest way to clean a record? (laughs) Absolutely. That is the cheapest. Yes. And if you don't know what a microfiber cloth is, go hang out with Goldfish. (laughs) I bet you Goldfish doesn't clean his records before he puts them on. No, he probably just wipes his ass on it and says, oh, it smells better. Um, (laughs) Anyway. Number two. The Big Fudge Record Care System. Doesn't have to be Big Fudge, but is the one that I had. Um, and it's basically the RCA kit. Essentially, yeah. Everybody's ripped this off. You go, you go on Amazon and you search record cleaning kit. You'll see thirty of these, you know, from all different companies. And guess what? They're all pretty much the same. Um, there are differences with the brushes, right? That that wooden thing with the with the black cushion on top. There's ones that are microfiber. There's ones that are like kind of like like this one is more like a crushed velvet with smaller bristle style things. Uh, And then you see there's the record cleaner in the black bottle. Talk about that in a minute. I'm not always the biggest fan of that. Um, Then there's the, the brush that you would, you know, kind of put over your uh, needle, put over, uh, put, uh, well, no, that's the, that's the little hammer looking one. I thought that's the one you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. There's the little hammer looking thing that's directly next to the, to the record, uh, uh, cleaner, uh, uh, pad thing that's for your stylus. And then there's one that looks like a brush, which also essentially is to clean off those other items, <laughs> but there's also, um, the spin well, no, clean. Not, well, not there is the spin clean, but I forgot. I, uh, there's, there's also the, the carbon fiber brush. The carbon fiber brush is much better than this brush. I'm glad you brought it up because the thing with this brush is it's curved. And unless you know how to use it properly, you have to pull it up on certain times when the record comes around, which almost nobody knows how to do it properly. I even struggle with doing it. It, It's a pain in the ass. It doesn't clean the records as good as it should. Does not clean it as good as it should because it's really hard to tell from this photo, but it's rounded as is the, the, the wood the wood block that you hold. Um, but I've never felt like it cleans it 
deep enough. You always end up, if you don't move that brush fast enough, you're going to put all that shit that you just took off the record back onto it. Exactly. Now, <laughs> this right here, this is the carbon fiber brush that I'm talking about. So this brush, you start your record and you, you know, move the top up and you just kind of lay this within the grooves as it's spinning around. You don't do it vertically. You do it horizontally and it just kind of cleans out the grooves and you gently brush and pull it off when you're done as it makes a couple of revolutions around. Um, this is a better way to kind of start doing it as opposed to the other one. Now, what the other one is good for is with the record cleaner because it'll absorb that material. Now, there's two different ways to do it. Some people spray it on the pad and then apply the pad to the record. Some people spray the record and then put the pad on. Now, there's a reason why I would not say to do it that way. And I know Nick is probably going to say the same thing. Here's the problem. And there's, there is a, 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 a chronology of events that you need to do to clean the record. Again, this first. Mm -hmm. Okay. You always clean dry first. Why? Well, if you have a dirty record, right? Imagine you go outside and there's dirt on the ground. All right. And you sweep most of the dirt away with a broom, right? And then you take a hose and you spray it off. It gets clean. If you have a lot of dirt on the ground and you start with a hose and then you try to brush it away, it's mud. Yep. Same thing happens in the grooves of your records. All right. So if you think of it that way, it's like, oh, I need to sweep first, then I could wash. It's that kind of concept. Okay. So if you're spraying directly on the record too, you're, you're saturating certain parts of the record as well. And you have to wait until it dries because if you start playing the record, you put the needle down on it and it's wet. All that gunk is still going to get caked up into your needle. Then you got to clean your needle and so on and so forth. It's, 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 you're going down a bad spiral of cleanliness when it comes to your records at that point. So would you agree with that, Nick? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Now, if you're doing this every time before you, you know, start playing a record, your record collection will stay in pretty good order. There are some times when you may need a little bit more of a severe cleaning. And that's when something like this comes into play, which is the spin clean. The spin clean is the cheapest but hardest way to clean a record that is very, 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 very dirty. It's the slave labor way of the VPI machine. So why don't you explain how this works? Okay, so as you can see here, there's a basin that you fill with distilled water. Well, the, the yellow thing is the basin. You've put yeah. distilled water in there along with a uh, record cleaning formula that goes in and mixes. There's two Stop right there. Okay. Stop right there. Why distilled water? I think it's more pure, right? I mean, it's a, it there's doesn't no leave minerals spots. in it, right? Yeah, it doesn't leave spots doesn't leave spots. There's no mineral deposits left on the album. It is just water. I wouldn't drink it. It tastes like shit because <laughs> it has no minerals in it. Minerals is what gives water flavor, essentially. So it's just water. Yep. Right. It's just plain water. And yes, you add you add cleaner to it. So go ahead. Yep. And then there's two brushes on the inside, and you spin the record by hand through the solution and the brushes. Uh, clockwise three times and counterclockwise three times is what they suggest yep um and then you pull the record out and you can either wipe it down with a microfiber or what i used to do when i had the spin clean was i had a um dish rack and i would clean like eight records at a time and i would 
lay them in the dish rack and let them air dry. Yeah. And that's that's also key because, again, you need to let them dry. Now, distilled water will also dry a lot faster. Yes, very quick. Because there's no minerals in it. So, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Now, that's one way of doing it. Don't use Perrier. Don't use Perrier. Very bad. <laughs> Here's another way to clean your record as it's playing. I'm not a fan of this. Neither am I because I can't really grasp the concept, but some people swear by this. Essentially, it's kind of doing this carbon brush thing as the record is playing. All right. And that other brush is magnetized and it sticks on one corner of your record player and cleans like this does as your record is playing. I personally don't understand it, but again, some people swear by it and think it's great um, because it's constantly cleaning and it's cleaning ahead of the stylus. Yeah, but there's Brussels, Brussels, bristles, bristles sitting on the record at all times. Yeah. And going like this. And I feel like it's just like scratching the, 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 the LP. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's like goat hair or something like that, it's probably not doing any damage to it. But what I also do think it might do in some instances, especially with a belt driven turntable is slow it down a little bit. Yes. You're right. You know, even if it's a hint, it'll, it'll make a difference, you know? Um, so, but this is another way. I just wanted to show you a different way of doing it. Um, now this is something we're going to talk about even more. I just bought this. All right. I love it. It's basically, well, I have a VPI machine and it's similar, right? Why don't you talk about how this works and I'll talk about how a VPI works. There are several companies that make something like this. I chose this one for one gigantic reason. Now this is called the project VCE record cleaning machine. Okay. There, they also have the project VCS record cleaning machine, which is bigger. It holds like two and a half liters of fluid. Now, none of the fluid is put in prior to cleaning. It's all the fluid that's sucked off the record. Now, here's an example. Nick, I actually made a video um, of how this works. Cool. All right. And how good of a job it does. So remember, I told you, I, I, you know, I picked up Let It Be, right? I picked up that, that OG of Let It Be, and I used this on it. It was crackly as all get out. And then by the time I was done, it was super clean and sounds super good. Now, that record had a lot of like hairline scratches on it. It's not going to get none of these are going to get rid of scratches. Yeah, that's not how it works. All right. If there's noise from scratches, that's there. Okay. But what it will get out is grime, dirt and surface noise. So here I'm going to play this as a two minute clip of how this machine works. And you'll see exactly what it does. Ready? Here we go. This is before using the Project VCE record cleaner.
Okay, now we've done the cleaning on the Project VCE Record Cleaner Vacuum Unit thingy. Here's the results. What do you think? Fantastic. Right? So it's basically a VPI machine. It's basically a it VPI does... machine. VPI is a company. So yeah. uh, this is just Project's version of it. I happen to love Project products. And this is on sale right now. Now, I've been looking at this thing for a year. A year. I haven't pulled the trigger on it. And then it, they just dropped the price 100 bucks. So what does this cost? Three ninety nine. Yeah, you can't beat that. Nope. I was going to say, mine's a little bit more automated because I noticed like... I think you you move the arm and then turn the yeah. switch on and everything. Mm -hmm. Mine mine does it on its own, but the, it's yeah. like it, it's an eight hundred dollar difference. So yeah, you can't exactly. Beat that so three ninety nine. And amazing. then the uh, the 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 VCS or the VCS two, I think is what it's called. It, the bigger version of this, which does the same thing, that was seven forty nine. It's on sale right now four ninety nine. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, that's those are that's a steal of a price yeah, exactly so that's why i pulled the trigger now yeah um and you can find on amazon or audio advice a bunch of different companies have it at that 399 and 499 respectively depending on which one you get now if you have larger collections or you know uh older records this is great especially using the solution that's in there that comes with it the project solution that they include it's called wash it it's great even on even on like shellac records like 78s and things of that nature it won't harm them there's no alcohol in it you can't use alcohol on some of those albums it'll like melt it like it'll ruin them so you can't use it but this is safe for all of that and they even make which i don't know why i would get it but they make an attachment for seven inch records if you have a lot of singles that you can use with this, but uh, most of my collection is 12 inch anyway. Yep. So it's, yep. you know, I don't, I don't need to spend another $200 to clean my, my seven inch records. I'm fine with that. Um, and then last but not least is something like this. Now this is an ultrasonic cleaner, now, ultrasonic cleaner. It, depending on who you ask is a little better than the vacuum cleaner. Because what it does is it does it with ultrasonic sound. It actually vibe. It, it's there's a solution of water that distilled water solution, and it vibrates it and gets all the grit out. There's a company like uh, Degritter. Um, there's a bunch of companies that make these. Uh, there's also a bunch of companies that just well. There's one company that just hosed a bunch of people on Kickstarter, offering one for one hundred and forty nine dollars. Which guilty should have known it was too good to be true. But I almost yeah. went for it too. You know what? Now they're saying, oh, no, it's going to be May. It's going to be May. It's going to be May. So maybe I'll wind up with one as well, and I'll be able to do a comparative difference. 
honestly, if you ask my opinion, I think the ultimate way to clean the record would be to start with an ultrasonic cleaner and finish with the vacuum cleaner. Uh-huh. Because then you're getting all the grit out, and then you can suction everything out, whatever's left, with the vacuum cleaner. But how many people are going to have like two to three thousand dollars just to blow on cleaners? <laughs> right. You know. Um, so either way, the point is that there's multiple ways to peel this onion, uh, and the point is that you need to do it. You do need to do it. You need to take care of your collection. If you're not taking care of your collection, it will not take care of you. But nothing is going to fix scratches. Right. Nothing will fix scratches. The thing that I really like about the VCE is, uh, let me just go back. You know, the, you see that cap on the top that's holding the record down? Yes. That protects the label. So the label never gets wet. Whereas with that's that's because even mine gets the the label can get wet. Yeah. You know, then there's like the spin clean that, well, you got to be careful. You can only fill it up so much. Otherwise, that label will get wet. And then if you're letting it dry and you didn't, you know, let it drip enough before you put it in the in, you know, in the in the rack of, of dishes, you know, it may drip onto the label, ruin the label. So that's why I really, really, really like this one. Now, there's other companies. There's a company called, uh, was it Record Doctor? Yeah. Yeah, they make a great one, too. They make a great one, but it's and it's a vacuum cleaner. The reason why I didn't get that one, why I got this one, is because I like the fact that this suction is from the top. And it's automatic. There's a, there's a motor in it. The Record Doctor, which is definitely less expensive. You can get them as, as little as like $225. Um, they're manual. There's a, there's actually a knob you need to turn, and it does it from underneath. So what you actually have to do is put the solution on it, turn the record over, put it, you know, clamp it down, then turn on the vacuum, and it vacuums from underneath. To me, that seems like not right because you can't see what kind of job it's doing. Right. Spend uh, another 175 bucks and get this and get one. this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, but what this also will allow you to do is uh, be able to go and dig through those bargain bins with impunity because though know, you know, the first thing you're going to do when you get home, as opposed to testing it and ruining your needle, you're going to put it on this thing and you're going to save your stylus. Yep. And let it, and that $200 investment that you need to every thousand or 1500 hours need to change out on that stylus. Well, you'll prolong that by not eating it up with dirt and grime on your records. So, um, whether it's this or any of these solutions that will help with that. I mean, you know, even, even this, even this is better than doing nothing. Yep. You know, because even if you're just wiping your finger oils off, if you touch the record, you want to wipe that off, you know, don't get that on your stylus. It's all about having better fidelity, protecting your equipment and having it all last longer. Nick is frozen. No, I'm not frozen. Oh, you, I was nodding. <laughs> no, you, you were, your, your picture was frozen. Oh, uh, you were just, you look like this, like <laughs> <laughs> Nick, what do you have to add to that? Nothing. I mean, you, you hit it all. I, I highly recommend though, the vacuum style cleaners, because as you mentioned, it gets all that dirt and grime out. Um, and it makes a world of difference as you just heard in Mike's video. There's, there's nothing you can do by hand. That's going to do what, what those machines do. And if you, if you're going to be a collector and you, and whether you're buying $150 Steely Dan reissues or dollar bin records, I clean everything. 
Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I clean that Steely Dan record because, as you mentioned, Mike, even a brand new record of that caliber has residue in it. It has, you know, little little bits of uh, vinyl pieces and stuff. Um, so I clean everything before I put it on. And then usually once you've cleaned it, especially if you do a deep clean like with one of these machines, usually don't have to clean it again. Um, if you At least do, not for a while. Not for yeah. a while. If you use the spin clean, still it's like you have to you should clean it every time before you play it if it's been put away for a couple of months obviously if you put play it and then the next day you want to play it you don't need to clean it again yeah yeah yeah. but but even with with something like that definitely with the microfiber cloth or or the record kit that you showed the cleaning kit every time you're putting a record on you got to use those so yeah i'm not i'm not using the vacuum cleaner i'm like i literally just got this thing saturday right but I'm not going to every time I, you know, take a record off him, I'm going to do the deep clean on it. You don't need to do that every time. It's good to do it when you first get it. And it's good to do it if you, you know, if it's a brand new record or if it's a, you know, a, a bargain bin or used, especially just used a bargain bin, definitely do For it a hundred percent. You may not necessarily have to do it with a new one, but it's good to at least clean a new record. Uh, but definitely on used and bargain bin stuff, like yep. 100% you need to do it to protect your, your, your equipment. Bottom line. Most so, of the time, if you do the vacuum cleaner though, um, or the degritter, whatever you want to call it, cause they all have different names, but I yeah. call them vacuum cleaners. If you do that, anytime you go to play it after that, you can pretty much use that carbon fiber brush. Like Mike showed yep. that he has, and that'll, that'll do the trick. That'll keep it in good shape. Yep. And it'll keep your stylus in great shape because one bad little piece of something on the record will break your needle. Yep. It can, especially if it builds up over time, you know, cause that those, your needle is like attracting microscopic dirt the whole time. It's mm-hmm. good to clean your stylus too, with that little hammer looking brush thing. There's also, um, I've used it. It hasn't hurt it, but d- depending on who you ask, if you use it wrong, it's bad. Uh, these little like cups that have like a gel. I have that. Just, yeah, you just dip the needle in the gel, or you, you use the arm to um, the the tone arm uh, lever. adjustment yeah. the lever thing. Thank you. And you just dip it in the uh, in that gel, which is not uh, viscous. It's it's actually like a solid in a way. It's just gooey, uh, and that'll take all the dirt off the stylus. It captures it in that goo. Um, the other thing to do is also make sure that your stylus is calibrated. And by that, I mean the amount of pressure that is being put from the stylus onto the record. That's going to play a big part in it too. If there's too much pressure, it's going to dig in too much. You're going to ruin it. If it's too light, you're not going to get all the fidelity out of it. There's tolerances that it lives within. And if you have an Ortofin or, you know, uh, some of these other companies, uh, Sumiko, uh, any of these other stylus companies, they'll tell you what, what, what that should be. And you can buy a little stylus calibrator that costs like 10 bucks and it's worth every penny because you're getting the best, the most out of your collection and out of your equipment. So great. Another great tool is that's similar, but a little bit more um, efficient is the uh, mobile fidelity geo disc because Mm -hmm. that, that has the stylus calibrator on it. It's a disc that you sit on the turntable, thick plastic, so it also has the stylus calibrated like Mike was just talking about, but also um, a tracking angle thing and uh, to, for where your tone arm should sit and everything. So you can calibrate everything all at one time. It, it's pretty cool. It's pretty easy to use, too. 
Um, yeah. Pat, yeah, Pat, Pat yeah. asks a good question. You know, how often should you change the cartridge? If you go by, you know, normal thinking, it's about a thousand hours. You talking the needle or the cartridge? It's the the phono cartridge. I think I think he's talking about the actual stylus itself. Okay, yeah, yeah, stylus. Yeah, every the cartridge hours. will last forever. Yep, Ortofon's you know, great with just yeah. like if you have the Ortofon blue, um, or if you have the red, you can get just the just the stylus up because yeah. the, they're the same cartridge. Yeah. Um, and then once you get out of the red and blue, it goes to the gold, I think, or the black, and then the gold. Those there's have different orange, cartridges. Uh, no, wait. There's bronze, bronze, black. Yep. Yeah, those take a different cartridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks the same, but it, I, I'm guessing the electronics in it are a little different. But yeah, the red and the blue are interchangeable. The cartridges, it, those, those, those head shells are interchangeable with that cartridge. And then next level up, but the bronze is like $400 and the black is like $600. So you're really getting into it. Um, and then there's one that's, uh, I think there's a silver, which is specifically for mono. That's white. Cause it was to match white. the, uh, to match the Beatles mono set. That's right. That's right. There we go. Which I have to say again, I can't praise the Ortofon blue enough for $200. It, the, it's it's the best cartridge on the market without a doubt it, Absolutely. for, for being affordable. like where anybody can have it um but i have to wonder at the bronze level or the black level it has i they have to sound like just jaw-dropping great because if the blue sounds that good if if this one is if it's three times the price if does it does it give you three times the fidelity maybe i don't know maybe but it's gotta it, sound fucking great it also has it also depends on what it is that you're putting it through so you know i mean if you have super high end you know it's um i look at it this way it could be the same thing as putting like 93 octane into a nissan Sentra. right <laughs> yeah you know right. it's it may improve your gas mileage but not anything so noticeable you're not going to do 155 miles an hour on the highway with it it's not right. going to turn it into a rocket ship right but if you put 93 octane in a Ferrari, well, then it's really going to make that thing perform to its its best. So would there be improvements? Yes. Is it going to be improvements that I think are partially dictated by the other components in your in your in your whole collective? Yes, <laughs> very yes. much so. Yeah. But the 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 Ortofun Blue makes everything. It brings up the level of everything. Even the least expensive components sound better with this needle. Yep. So, um, so yeah, that's that's a very important thing. It's worth mentioning too, uh, just because we've been uh, touting it. If you need the cartridge with the Ortofon Blue, it's two fifty now. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think it's like two hundred bucks just for the head shell, right? Yep, you got it. Yep, yeah. So, but again, if you have an Ortofon Red, you already have the cartridge. Now, I will say, the Ortofon Red with cartridge for a hundred bucks. It's a fucking steal. That's a steal too. Like if you just have like some crappy, you know, stock, you know, stylus and head shell and and cartridge on your, on your turntable and you do that, you're going to notice a big difference right there because that's how I did it. I had a, I have a Stanton, the, like basically, uh, I still have it. It's, uh, it's the same thing as like, like kind of what you have, like a fake techniques SL 1200, uh, it's a turntable. It's a DJ style turntable with the brake and everything. And um, and when I when I put a Ortofan Red on it, it was like a whole new world. Yeah, it was a whole new world. 
Then I got this other turntable that had an Ordofin red. I put a new one on there because you don't know how long that stylus has been there. And that took it up another level. Like, wow. Okay. Then I got the blue. It was like, it just blew me away. It was, it was like that, me- that uh, Memorex commercial. Is it live yeah. or is it Memorex? It was just like, blew me in the back of my seat. So, yeah, that's, you know, bang for the buck, order fun blue. Just go right there. Yep. Don't get the red and then get the blue. Don't do what I did. Not saying the red is bad. If you can only afford 100 bucks, get the red. Yep. But if you could spend an extra 150 and get the blue, you'll thank us. Yep. It, it makes that much of a difference. It, it far outweighs the cost difference. Yep. So. I can't say enough about it. Yeah. And this portion of the programming is brought to you by Ordofin. Uh, <laughs> it's not, actually. Um, I maybe. wish it was. It should be. Yeah, really. Jeez, we we play records enough. Like, I think I need to get a new stylus, and I just bought it, like, you know, five months ago. <laughs> Spin well, records Ordofan, all the time. The Ordofan bronze, which is the next level up, is 419 now, and the uh, black is 695 With cartridge or yes with with cartridge okay yeah yeah it's not inexpensive but the things you need to buy the cartridge in order to make those work because it's different than the one from the blue and the red yep so but there's a lot of other great companies out there like i said sumiko is another great company they, they make some really nice some really nice head shells and cartridges and what have you so um there, there's there's lots of different ways that you can go with it but you know nick and i both really like the blue because bang for the buck it's just phenomenal so yep um great anything in closing on that one nick no buy a buy a record cleaner take care of your stuff because it will make you enjoy it more hell yeah absolutely um i don't think we have any other questions that we haven't answered but uh which means that we're on to our final two topics our final two the best two segments of our programming and then i'm actually going to see yachtly crew um tonight yeah, then well, it's they're uh, I'm going to have a drink with them. <laughs> nice, <laughs> I'm excited. A... I, I let, let's take a second and plug, yeah, because uh, anybody who watches this show probably saw Yachtly Crew on here. Yachtly Crew is playing the Detroit area May 24th. Do I have that right, Mike? Pretty sure, it's... Uh, yeah, May 24th. It's a Wednesday, I think, right? Wednesday it's like, night, May yeah. 24th, at the brand new District 142 club that everybody's been talking about down in Wyandotte. I'm looking forward to seeing the club, but I'm really looking forward to seeing Yachtly Crew coming all the way out to the Midwest. So it's going to be and awesome. it's a Wednesday, so we can't do the damn show. Yeah, maybe you should come out and we'll do the show live from Yachtly Crew. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> Uh, I wish it was a weekend. I totally would fly out for it, too, because it would just be a blast to have you, me, and uh, Sailor in the same room so I could film you guys duking it out over Dreams by Van Halen. The video um, Baba Booey put up, too, the other day, uh, giving the update on what was going yeah, on was, yeah, yeah. was absolutely hilarious. Yes, it was good. Um So anyway, and uh, just to plug down here, they're playing uh, March 3rd in anaheim uh and they're playing in san diego uh april 29th at a brand new venue that just opened up a 2000 seat venue and they sold it out wow already already they sold it out like last week it's more than two months before the show it's incredible so, big good things are happening them, with our friends it's always good yes you know? and they're touring they're touring like the u.s they're not touring and doing like a spot here no they're touring the u.s 
So they'll be on the East Coast. I know they're doing Virginia and Maryland dates. They got uh, Massachusetts dates booked, which means that in between will be Jersey and New York. So, you know, they're just kind of hammering those deals out. So you got to catch Yachtley crew out on, on, on tour at some point. Uh, and I'll be seeing them twice next week because I'll be in Vegas. Uh, so I'm seeing them next Friday and Saturday. And I think that uh, the rumor mill has it that their, uh, their residency at the Palms is going to be extended. Awesome. Congrats to those guys, man. Yep, 100%. Even though one uh, of them likes dreams. Uh, yeah, well, I, they can't they be can't. perfect, man. Yeah, I was going to say, they all can't be winners. <laughs> all right, cool. So, moving on. So, we have two segments left. One is called Discovered, and the other one is called This Song Sucks. And you know what's going on with these. Discovered is a song that we, a cover song that we like as much, if not more, than the original. And This Song Sucks kind of speaks for itself. So uh, I'm going to start this week. I think I let you go the uh, past couple of weeks to start yeah. off. So I'm going to start off with Discovered. And I'm going to go with something that, uh, I, you know, it's definitely better than the original. But the original in and of itself is actually, I'm going to get a lot of shit for this. Um, I don't necessarily think, I, I, I don't like the Pet Shop Boys. All right. I don't necessarily listen to the Pet Shop Boys, you know. Um but it's a sin is kind of a cool tune and ghost did a cover of it and it's freaking awesome. It's awesome. It's, it's everything that you would think it would be. Cause it, they kept like the disco beat in the background, but that still has that ghosty kind of like, you know, fuzzed out guitar thing going on with it. And Tobias sings it like dead on. I mean, his voice is perfect. For, mm-hmm. for the Pet Shop. I mean, it's just right along those lines. It sounds so cool. It's actually a really, really cool cover. I just came across it like yesterday. I was like, oh, yeah, that one. That's definitely happening. So, um, yeah, I, I really, really, really have been digging that. So That's that is one. my pick this week is It's a Sin by the Pet Shop Boys, reimagined by Ghost. Love it. My pick for Discovered this week is... Um, it's on the Johnny Cash Unearthed box set, which is all the unreleased stuff from the American recordings that he did with uh, Rick Rubin. Of course, it's probably best known for the Nine Inch Nails Hurt cover, as well as Rusty Cage by Soundgarden. Did a lot of crazy off-the-wall stuff. There's uh, Tom Petty covers. I think there's some Bruce covers. All kinds of stuff. It's like six records worth, but Unearthed is a nine LP box that has all kinds of outtakes and uh, stuff that didn't make the record. So there's a fantastic duet on there of Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson doing the Willie Nelson song, Like a Soldier, which is, I I was not familiar with the song until I heard it on this Unearthed box. And uh, it's just, um, the performance is just, hair raising i mean it's just the those two guys playing acoustic and and singing the song and johnny cash sings the the verses and then willie nelson harmonizes with him on the on the choruses and uh it's just it's just great i mean there's just something just fantastic about those two guys singing a song like that um lyrically really strong you know uh it's just one of those things you gotta you gotta hear it and uh I thought it was a great rendition and and there's just something special about the performance. So I really, really enjoyed it. Nice. Good call. Now I'm going to have to check it out. Yes, please do. All right. That brings us to something that's very important. Hi there. My name is 
unimportant. Oh, I thought it was very important, though. Um, <laughs> maybe it's not, so according you're... to Nick Bocott. I, you know, very sorry, but it is important. Hi there. My name is unimportant. I, he just keeps nullifying it. You know what time it is. You love it. You know it. With 100% more Steve Miller this week, it is This Song Sucks. So good. Doesn't get old. Doesn't get old. And just to make you happy. You gotta, you gotta do one and put a, a different Steve Miller song in. It I'm be gonna, yeah. No, I, I definitely have to do that. I think, I think next week there's gonna be a few extra, a few new tunes, a few new changes to, uh, to some of these clips. But uh, we'll get there. All right, my good sir, what song sucks? You want me to go first? Yeah, you go first this time. All right. So I thought long and hard about this. Great band. That especially for their deep cuts that you don't hear on the radio, because I think they kind of get pigeonholed for their radio hits. Leonard Skinner, one of my one of my deep cut favorite bands. The song for me for this song sucks is "Give Me Three Steps." Oh, uh, I'm gonna agree with you on this one. <laughs> this is terrible. I hate that guitar riff. I always start off by. Yep, I hate, and I hate all like how he goes. I said, "Excuse me," in the in the verses. I've never met anybody named Linda Lou. That sounds made up, and uh, yeah, I don't know. That song is just awful. I, I mean, you can and and like every cover band has to play it. So I feel like it's one of those songs that's like un, inescapable. Like Sweet Home Alabama has been like shoved down everyone's throats, and that's why I'm sick of it. But like at the core of it, it's not a bad song. I'm just tired of it. Where Give Me Three Steps just sucks. I uh, I I agree. It's it's fucking terrible. Um... I hate anybody that cuts a rug too. Why I like to cut a rug? What about what about people that lay carpet? Well, that's different. I'm talking about people that describe themselves dancing by cutting a rug. Oh well, that's fair. But that's a very uh, 1920s term, <laughs> right? Well, then why Let's is he saying in, se- in 72 or whenever? Give me three steps. Because they were drinking. Um, all right, cool. they were. That's yes. got him in trouble. Don't you listen to the lyrics? Well, yeah, but I don't care about the songs. <laughs> I just don't like it. I'm with you. I'm, All right. I'm not we a agree. We agree on that one. Yes, we agree. So I'm going to go with, uh, and this is sort of like Taboo, to go with a Foo Fighters song. I'm, I love the Foo Fighters. I love the first four Foo Fighter albums. <laughs> and then it's sort of kind of like, you know, um, I don't know how to describe it. I don't mind arena rock. I like arena rock. But then when you start like it, it was like sort of this like 
you know, rough, grungy, off the beaten pathy kind of thing, right? Uh, and then uh, it became sort of pop grunge rock, and then it became like anthemic arena rock, and then they did Minutes to Midnight or whatever, Medicine at Midnight. Right. And it's not good. Um, specifically, the song Shame, Shame. Oh, wow. That wasn't what I thought you were going to pick for all with all that lead up. What did you think I was going to pick? Wheels. Another bad one. But that one's really that's the worst Foo yeah. Fighters song, in my opinion. I like Shame, but, Shame. 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 Like the too much drums, whispering. The, the drums are really cool in it. Because they're like tribal style drums. It's just no, it's, it's slow. Back. It's slow. It's plotting. It's annoying. It's I don't like it. I don't like most everything on that album. Um, to be honest with you, uh, I I think it'll go down as one of their worst albums. Um, Dave Grohl, I know you're watching, and I'm very sorry, but uh, <laughs> he's gonna be not happy with you. Yeah. Now he's gonna come on. He's just gonna be like, "Don't want to be your monkey wrench, motherfucker." Yeah. Right. Uh, you know. Well, look. I mean, and I, I don't. I don't deny anybody their creativity. It's just like. There are so many other better Foo Fighter songs than most anything on that album. So fair enough. I mean, fair it's kind of like it's kind of like Unmasked by Kiss. That's a great album. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it is. It's their it's their power pop album without much power pop. We just lost you. You're muted. You hit a button. You know what? Are you yelling at somebody? I'm going to unmute you. I can't unmute you. Now he's oh, now now he broke it. We're about to end the show. Can't mute you can't unmute your guests cuz they chose to mute themselves. Okay. And there you go. So Nick is gone. Uh we're going to wait about 3 seconds for him to come back and then we're just going to end the show. <laughs> All right, no. All right. Uh it is different because Unmasked is Kiss's best album. Um all right, your, your your boy is so wrong. Your boy Gall McCartney is so wrong. It's different because Unmasked is Kiss's best album. That's like saying That's like saying Gino Vanelli's best album is Gist of the Gemini. <laughs> Gist of the Gemini is pretty good. Brother to Brother is his best album. Come no on. No doubt. All right. My yeah. Mike, you'll appreciate this. My my buddy Matt that always rags on me. I don't know if he's watching. Oh. I know he watches it Hang sometimes. On one second. You got like really, really loud now that you came back. Hang on one second. That's weird. Okay. I didn't touch the volume. No, um, you didn't, but this is what happens every show. You start you start loud and then slowly get quieter as time goes on. It's I, so weird. I don't know what the deal is, but uh my buddy could you, Matt could you pull it back a bit? Pull it back a my bit. My buddy Matt who watches the show sometimes, um I was talking about one day how we always argue about Kiss, and I was talking one day about how great Unmasked is, and he goes, "You're the only j biggest Kiss fan I know that has a Peter Chris tattoo, whose favorite Kiss album has Anton Fig as the drummer." <laughs> he makes a good point. Hi there, my name is Unimportant, and there's that. So I want to touch on something else here. Pat asked, "Is is Give Me Three Steps worse than What's Your Name?" 
It's, yeah. it's a toss-up, but it is. Yeah. I think it is. I mean, they're is. the same song. Just sort of, there's more horns on What's Your Name, which I think kind of saves it. <laughs> well, I hate, you know what I hate about on What's Your Name? How it comes around at the end, how he goes, what was your name? What was your name? Yeah, I hate that. That fucking drives me insane every time I hear it. Oh, God. Well, on that note, oh, my God, we did this. We did a two-hour and 11-minute show. Yeah, it's way too long. We probably Jesus. lost everybody. Yeah, we only have six people left, but, you know, it's all right. We only had four. Oh, wait, we went <laughs> up. I'm kidding. All right, well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, let's see, we're going to call it. All right. This was another riveting and exciting episode of Cover to Cover, brought to you by the letter Q and the number fork. <laughs> the number fork. <laughs> My name is Mike Venezia. That is Nick Morocco. Nick, what store do you own? Rock City Music Company. And where are you located? Five Mile in Farmington in Livonia, Michigan. And where can we find you? RockCityMusicCo.com and all social media platforms. And what is your favorite color? Uh, red. And what's the first thing that Patrick Middlestat needs to buy the next time he comes in the store? Leonard Skinner Street Survivors, because it has What's Your Name? Shooting you straight, Pat. You need to buy buy uh, Street Survivors. And there you go. But do you have the one with the fire? Because oh, that yeah, the rarest really record rare. ever. Oh, Very yeah. rare. You know what I got? You know what I got? Anytime somebody says that to me, you know what I got? I know they're going to lead in with that they've got the Leonard Skinner flame cover. And they do. They actually have that record. They do. All right. We've run out of we've run out of, of jingles. So we are done. Thank you all. We'll see you next week with special guests, uh, with a special guest at least. And uh, I have no idea what the topic is, but we'll figure it out about three minutes before we go on. Like we did today. Yeah, that was pretty good. All right, guys. Thank you so much. See you next week.